0: Sounds like something epic should be happening now, I guess. Well, congratulations, you made it to the 11:35 service. You know, got out of bed and got here on New Year's Day. Uh, so time keeps going. It's here. The new year is here, whether you're ready for it or not. If you're greeting it with optimism or anxiety or relief or joy or sadness, I don't know. But I hope you're ready. For whatever 2017 brings uh, My wife and I started 2016 with a lot of ambition and optimism First day of the year we were out in Colorado Springs Visiting my parents and all of my siblings and their spouses We went we hiked up this 2,000 foot incline You got a picture of us at the top There it is to prove it I mean what a great place to start the new year Right on top of the world and uh, being the witty person that I am, shortly after this photo was taken, I said, uh, well, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> and on the way down, my wife broke her ankle. Awesome. In spite of me telling her, no, it's only a sprain. You just walk it off. No, it really was broken. And she had to be fetched by the mountain rescue teams and endure several hours of pain and cold before she made it to the hospital. So that's how we started 2016. We have a less adventurous day planned for 2017. I don't know about uh, what is waiting for you, but... How will the start of the new year does spark some ambition and optimism in a lot of us, right? We're kind of taught to approach this time of year in that way. It's time to turn over a new leaf, get a fresh start, get moving in the right direction. We make resolutions and we set goals trying to achieve whatever we want to, whatever we set out to do in the new year. We want to make it better than it was last year. Some of us probably make resolutions. Some of us maybe think, oh, making resolutions is just cliche. It's certainly cliche to break our resolutions, right? Um, Because the truth is, a lot of us don't live up to those ambitious goals that we set. But yet, we understand it to be a noble thing, to keep going, don't give up, give it another try, stick with it, keep on keeping on. Those are the speeches that we've heard, right? Those are the speeches that we've given. Those are the stories that inspire us. In fact, think about what are some of your favorite um, never-give-up stories, where people succeeded even through failure. They, they stuck with it and achieved something. That's a common theme in our movies and in, in the stories that we like to tell, whether you're talking about the little engine that could, or Rocky, or uh, Jimmy V battling cancer saying, don't give up, don't ever give up. Or even Colonel Sanders, who legend has it, he tried to sell his secret chicken recipe to restaurants 1,009 times before finally succeeding. So how about it? Go ahead. What are your favorite never-give-up stories, movies or, or people that you know? Go ahead and call them out. What do you got? Zootopia, Babe Ruth, Rudy, Forrest Gump. A League of Their Own, yeah. Albert Einstein, so, some other famous, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, some of those inventors. Who else? Remember the, Remember the Titans a good one, yeah. Some modern figure. Michael Jordan was always, might hear that story about him getting cut from his high school team. Oprah Winfrey. Ha- awesome. I don't know that one. I, don't, I, I You're losing me now. You're losing me now. But I'm sure they're great. I'm sure they're great. Okay, that time has ended now. All right. <laughs> But we have those stories, right? Those, like the boxing movies are a good ones. A lot of boxing movies, I think we have a picture of those. Cinderella Man, um, Million Dollar Baby, The Hurricane Rocky, of course, is a big one. Nelson Mandela, rock star figure from history. Uh, people like that, right? J.K. Rowling wasn't always a famous author, but she endured and now she's gotten to this place and everybody loves her books. We need those kinds of stories, don't we? We need them to inspire us to see those people taking on challenges and overcoming them, staying committed over the long haul and and getting through it to achieve something. We need those people to pump some life into us sometimes. Like, we we just got to see this scene from Rocky Balboa. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers, saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. You're better than that. Yes. Right. (laughs) We know it's a hard world, right? It's not all sunshine and rainbows. And we need encouragement from people who've taken the hits, who've battled the naysayers, who've overcome obstacles and still achieved, in spite of whoever did or did not support them. And we need that inspiration today as we turn toward 2017. Regardless of what 2016 held for us, mountains climbed, bones broken, friends made or lost, opportunities ceased or let go, we need uh, a word as we turn toward 2017 to take us into the year with some gusto, I think. And we're not just going to watch Rocky movies, although we could do that. If we play, started playing Eye the Tiger right now, all right, some of us would get really excited. But uh, we're going to look to the Bible. If you've got a Bible, um, go ahead and take it out. It's going to be helpful to us today. We're starting a new series and a new, uh, new year, and uh, we'll hear more about the new series as we go along. But let's start with this. If I was talking to someone who is just starting to read the Bible, maybe they just got their first one, don't know where or how to begin, I would say, well, you've got to start with Jesus. Start in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they all tell the story of Jesus. Just pick one of them and go get to know Jesus. you feel like you're starting in the middle, but that's because Jesus is central. And if you took my advice, let's just say maybe you went to Matthew, first book of the New Testament, which is a good thing to do because he starts his story with the story of Jesus' birth. Of course, we just celebrated that. And as an entree into the birth story, Matthew begins by tracing Jesus' ancestry. So if you look there and you begin to read in chapter 1, you see it starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac. The New Testament starts to tell the story of Jesus. It begins with someone named Abraham. Now, he's an Old Testament figure. He appears way back here in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. But the New Testament knows him quite well also. In fact, he's featured quite prominently. Uh, He appears in all of these New Testament books. These writers uh, reminisce about this important figure from the past in order to uh, communicate something important in the present. And one of the common ways that they call to mind the memory of Abraham is when God spoke to Moses and he introduced himself in this way. He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It's interesting, if you've ever been invited to a party or a wedding where the only person you're going to know there is the person that invited you, and so you're mingling with people and during all these awkward conversations, you're always introducing yourself like, well, I'm with so-and-so, I'm a friend of theirs. And that has a way of sort of justifying your presence at the place, and the person hears that and they're like, oh, okay, welcome. Well, God makes that kind of association with Abraham over and over again when he's meeting someone new, when he's revealing himself in a new way. Which God am I? I'm not just some vague higher power, not just a distant clockmaker. I am the God of Abraham. He and I go way back. And if you know his story, then you'll know what I'm about. The New Testament writers want us to know Abraham and God were pretty tight. But it's also important to know that it wasn't always that way. I think we're we're generally pretty fascinated by famous people, right? When I was in middle school, all the books I would check out from the library were on on famous pro athletes. Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Shaquille O'Neal. And if you're like me, one of the things that you like about those kinds of, of stories is the before they were famous part. I love hearing testimony from childhood friends because they come with a perspective that's like, well, I know everybody sees them like this now, but let me tell you how it was back in the day. And the Bible gives us a similar kind of biographical sketch of Abraham that goes to all the way back in the day. And it's a story that you need to pay attention to. Because if you know Abraham's story, then you will know God's story. And you'll also understand something important about your own. Joshua experienced this to be true Joshua shows up right here in the story lived a few generations after Abraham but he was a leader of God's people and there was a time when he's trying to rally all of God's people to renew their commitment to God they had been through a lot and so uh, he gives he gets them all there and he gives this inspiring speech a sort of a Patrick Henry give me liberty or give me death kind of a thing and he begins that speech by calling to mind the memory of Abraham now he didn't know Abraham But he'd heard the stories told around the dinner table. He checked out the Abraham books in in middle school, and he knows that way back in the day, this is how it was. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Before Abraham and God, God Yahweh, had any kind of association, Abraham's household gave their allegiance to other gods. Truth be told, Abraham grew up and lived much of his adult life without any kind of knowledge of God, the Creator. And he also didn't know himself by the name Abraham. Here's how it all happened. If you go back to Genesis, uh, you begin reading in Genesis 11 and 12, you can meet Abraham's idol-worshiping family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now Haran died, but Abraham and Nahor both got married. Abram's wife was Sarai, and Sarai was childless because she wasn't able to conceive. Abram is how he was known. And the Bible doesn't tell us that there was anything particularly exceptional about Abram or his family. They seem like pretty regular folks, family of herdsmen, um, tending flocks, living off the land, somewhat nomadic like a lot of people of that time. And it does seem like Abram's family was on the uh, successful end of the spectrum. They had accumulated a number of possessions and servants. Terah must have done quite well, uh, left a nice inheritance for his boys and they were able to, to get, uh, you know, grow an estate and get a wife and do that. It was good life for someone back then. It's a good life for someone now. I mean, you know, get a job, get a spouse, amass some wealth, start building a life together. A lot of us would probably quite content with that. We, we probably make resolutions and set goals to get us further down the track toward attaining that. Now, Abram wasn't able to have kids, so that wasn't ideal. But when his brother died, he kind of took his nephew Lot under his wing, and he was more than just the cool uncle. He was able to be a father figure for Lot. So he's got a lot of good things going for him. A lot of the typical sources of fulfillment that we might think is necessary for a good life. And the Bible doesn't tell us that he, was, that he was looking for anything else. He could have just rode that out like his father before him, like his father before him. And maybe that's true for some of us too. Maybe, uh, maybe we've worked hard to get a life that we can manage and, and predict and control. and It's working for us. We're accumulating for ourselves, got a good job, providing for our family, finding a way to work in some religion so that we can keep our good fortunes going. So, yeah, we're content. Some of us would be quite content to just settle into that groove. Abram found that groove and worked it for 75 years. That's who he was. That was his identity. That's how he was known to the people of his community. And then, without explanation or rationale that's known to us, God, not one of Abram, Abraham's household pantheon, gods. God, the creator of heaven and earth, smuggled his way into Abram's life. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great Nation, And I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Eric Thomas is a motivational speaker. He's sometimes referred to as a hip-hop preacher. He has his own never-give-up story, lived on the streets for a time, but now he goes around speaking to high school students and entrepreneurs and anybody who listens, giving them uh, his tools for success. And he was speaking to a group of student-athletes one time, just kind of dropping these quick-hitting points, and uh, this was one of them. Because I only have about three more minutes. Listen to me. The most important thing is this, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what you are for what you will become. And that is exactly the choice that faced Abraham as God appeared to him. Will I sacrifice who I am for what the Lord says I will become? And again, by most accounts, it doesn't seem that there was anything wrong with who Abram was, with his family, his country, his people, his father's household. It doesn't seem to be any compelling reasons to leave those things behind. I think any of us would have been quite content with those circumstances. And yet, Abram is given the choice to let go of who he is, what he has, what he has accomplished and accumulated in exchange for the promise of God, which at this point lacks any specific address or timetable other than, I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, took his wife, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and arrived there. Have you ever felt like God is prompting you to go to a place you've never been? Like he's calling you out of your comfort zone. Do you ever have the sense that you are not a finished product? Oh, sure, all the 17-year-olds in the room know that they got big dreams. But what about the 75-year-olds? Is God done with you yet? God wasn't done with Abram. In fact, he'd just begun. Yes, when God decided to embark on his world blessing mission, he was like a commander staring at his troops, standing at attention before him, and he said, uh, Hey, Grandpa, yeah, you with the barren wife, you ready to do this? (laughs) And Steve Harvey said, You crazy. Yeah, God's crazy. I mean, we all have plenty of reasons why God couldn't use us for his purposes. We're too old, too young, don't know enough, not worthy enough, too sinful. We all have those reasons. But one of the things that you find out about God as you learn Abram's story is that God is, in fact, crazy enough to call the old, young, ignorant, unworthy, sinful into action for his mission. He's that crazy. It couldn't have been long before Abram was saying to himself, This is crazy. Here, here's what happens. He um, leaves from Haran, which is up in modern-day Turkey, and he migrates down toward what is modern-day Israel into the Promised Land. Uh, it was occupied by the Canaanites at that time, obviously. And the Lord then appeared to Abram, and he said, To your offspring I will give this land. This, this is the spot that I was talking about. This is going to be yours. Great. So Abram's there, and then the next thing you know, now there was a famine in the land. Awesome. So Abram goes down to Egypt and lives there for a while because the famine was severe. Has God a used car salesman? Now, I mean that only in the stereotypical way. Not to speak ill of any actual used car salesman that I know that are part of this church. But I'm like, what's going on here? God says, look, this is the land I'm going to give to you and your family. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, except for the famine. The severe famine. There's no food here. And this is where our judgments come out, right? Where we're very ready to blame God for being an idiot. God, this is the thing that you're calling me to do. But now that I'm doing it, I'm discovering that the conditions aren't favorable for getting it done. What gives? I'm telling you, I was saying exactly that thing earlier this year. I know I've been talking about a lot about her from this stage but it's my life now and I've been reflecting a lot on the year that it was when earlier, in 20, early in 2016 I went with my wife, my one-legged wife to Uganda to adopt two children something that God had called us to do but it turns out it was very hard to do it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows conditions weren't favorable for getting it done and if your story is such that you are trying to follow God's leading but you have encountered many obstacles endured pain and setbacks long nights and questions then you need to listen Listen to Abram's story. The gift God gave to Abram doesn't exactly impress right away. He decides to call an audible, go down to Egypt, which we're not told if that was his expression, lack of trust or what. But he goes down there and he cons the leaders there into not killing him and taking his wife. And he actually ends up richer at their expense. But as you can imagine, he made some enemies because of that. And so they send him back up to the land that God had promised him. So he goes there, settles down, and God again confirms, Abram, I'm going to give you this land to you and your descendants. But Abram said, Lord, what what are you going to give me? I'm childless. I don't have any children. A servant in my household is going to be my heir. I hear what you're saying, God, but where, where's the proof? And then the word of the Lord came to him Abram, this man, this servant will not be your heir, but a son, your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And then he took him outside and he said, Abraham, look up at the sky. Why don't you try to count the stars? Just see if you can count those. That's how your offspring will be. Said God to the man with the barren wife. And then comes the statement that the New Testament will pick up on and play on repeat. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Not that he believed in God. That's not the astonishing thing to note here. He believed in God his whole life, like some higher being that his dad told him about. He was able to conceive that there was some kind of God thing out there. And plenty of people today would say the same thing if you ask them. But what they don't do is believe in God such that they organize their life around that God's agenda. They don't trust that that God's way is best and right. And they aren't willing to, in the face of difficulty or circumstances that don't immediately make sense to them, they aren't willing to stay the course and believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. That belief is called faith. And faith, if it's really faith, will always be put to the test. Now, if you're reading along, you might think Abram passed the test. God promised, Abram believed. Good, glad that's over. But his story hasn't even gotten amazing yet. Turn to the next chapter, and it's ten years later. Plenty of time for God to get busy on that descendants numbering more than the stars in the sky promise. But yet, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my slave. Maybe I can build a family through her. You hear the resignation in her voice. The judgment is in. God must be an idiot. We're going to to figure this out on our own. Ten years of believing God with what to show for it. A decade of obedience, living away from his people, away from his homeland, waiting in anticipation every month for the pregnancy test to come back. He's 86. He goes with his wife's idea, and it works. Abram has a son through the servant Hagar named Ishmael. Maybe this will jumpstart God's promise. Surely God just needed an assist. Next chapter. 13 more years have passed. We're now 24 years deep into this leave everything you know and I'm going to give you descendants numbering beyond what you can count and bless the whole world through you promise from God. And Abram's got, well, he's wealthier, but he's still a foreigner in this land that God is supposed to be giving. His nephew Lot is separated from him. he's got an illegitimate son which has made his wife miserable. she's jealous of the slave girl, the boy's mother. Abram would probably like to love the boy, but who knows how that makes his wife feel i mean it seems that there there's only two possible conclusions that Abram could have arrived at in the last thirty in the last twenty four years. either God hoodwinked him didn't fulfill his promise or This is what God meant, I guess. Kind of under-delivered, but okay. Not exactly what I promised my wife it would be when I told her we were moving, but hey, honey, surprise, this is what God did. Have you ever had the sense that God is done with you? Not so fast. When Abram was 99 years old, Years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, and no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. The Lord goes on to tell this 99-year-old that this time next year, you and your 90-year-old wife will be holding a baby boy of your own in your arms, Isaac, the one through whom I will carry out my covenant, land and blessing and descendants numbering as many as the stars in the sky as only this crazy God could do. And that is why you are Abraham, the father of many. That will be your identity. That's how future generations are going to know you. You won't be able to pass yourself off as Abram, a wealthy herdsman. Cut up any ID cards that bear that name, because those will be counterfeit. For you will be remembered as the one who believed God and was credited with being in right standing before God. For it mattered not who stood with you over those 25 years while God's promise was being birthed. You endured through the waiting and the silence to become Abraham, the father of many, the one through whom God will establish establish his covenant you proved yourself steadfast and faithful and as a result the whole world will be blessed through you and that blessing is celebrated every christmas when we remember another baby that was birthed in the line of abraham and isaac and jacob Jesus, who is Christ the Lord, in whom God was reconciling the world to himself, not holding people's sins against them. Fulfilling in an even fuller way the promise God made to Abraham before he even knew himself by that name. So you could understand then why the New Testament would be so eager to tell Abraham's story. Talking as much as it does about perseverance. Standing firm. Keeping the faith. Enduring to the end. It's written to people who are hard pressed on every side. Living in conditions unfavorable to following Jesus. People who needed some kind of inspiration to keep going and never give up. People like us. I don't know what you're facing as 2017 arrives. Maybe you're like 75-year-old Abram who's made something of yourself, but something's telling you there's got to be more to life than this, and you're wondering if that something is God. And maybe the gods of your upbringing are not the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jesus, but now you hear that God calling you to a new life, making promises to you of forgiveness and eternal life, and you're wondering if it might be worth it. Perhaps there is something beyond your comfort zone and you're hesitant to go out and go after it. Not enough about it is defined yet, but what's becoming clear is that it is God who is orchestrating the opportunity and He's waiting for you to say yes. Or perhaps you're midway down a God-directed path, hoping that your efforts will be fruitful, but the harvest has yet to come. There are easier paths available to you and they tempt you, but you're trying to stay focused on what you're about. Maybe long nights and waiting fill your story. Maybe you're doing all the right things with seemingly nothing to show for it. Maybe you're suffering through illness or unfairness or neglect or scorn, grief or scarcity. And you're waiting for the Lord's deliverance. Maybe you've passed the test. but well, What God is making clear to you is that's only the most recent milestone and there are more challenges to come. And what's being demanded of you in the moment is faith. Faith that is inextricably linked to action, to obedience. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see. It's living and walking in obedience to God and believing that His path is right and best. It's doing what God commands, even if it doesn't make sense to you right now, even if it runs counter to your comforts, even if it's not the easiest or shortest path. Remember Abraham, the New Testament says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, just like Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise, For he was looking forward to something more permanent that God was building. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We didn't even get to that part of the story. It was amazing. God said, that son I gave to you, I want him back. And Abraham, even though he had embraced the promises of God, and he was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham figured, well, I guess God could even bring him back from the dead. And in a manner of speaking, he did get Isaac back from the dead, because knife in hand, he was about to do it. And God stopped him and said, no, no. Now I know you, Abraham. That's who Abraham was. And just like all of the characters in the never give up stories that inspire us, he had this indomitable spirit, a fire in his belly that kept him going every day, a long obedience in the same direction. But, but, catch this now. Unlike a lot of the stories that we hear, the thing that was churning in his gut, the thing driving him forward day after day, wasn't his dream. It was God's dream. He wasn't trying to accomplish his goals. He was trying to be obedient so that God could accomplish his goals. And his life wasn't defined by this common mantra, believe in yourself. No, like he had the power within himself to become the father of many nations. No, Abraham's life is marked by the fact that he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't set out to create his own destiny as we're commonly told to do. He set out without having any idea, without having any guarantee of what he would become other than the promise of the Lord Almighty for whom nothing is impossible. It wasn't for Abraham, it wasn't about deciding what you want out of life and then stopping at nothing to go get it. It was about deciding who you're gonna follow in life and then letting nothing stop you from trusting Him and doing what He says. And when the Bible wants to say something important to people who are pressed and stressed and fatigued and sin sick and wondering if God is an idiot or if he just might be crazy enough to do something beyond what I could imagine, it calls to mind Abraham and says, with faith, your story can be like his. In fact, your story is his Understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed in your heirs according to that same promise. God's promise of new and eternal life, it comes by faith so that it might be by grace, and might be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, to all of those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all so when storms come when life is not all sunshines and rainbows remember that is your identity and don't give up you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of god you will receive what god has promised for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay And he says, my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's who we are. We belong to Abraham. So when the world is too much for you, remember who you are. You do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and are saved. When the consequences of sin have you feeling like all hope is lost, remember, you do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and are saved. When life doesn't come easy and you've got only hard choices before you, remember who you are. You do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and are saved. We're surrounded by naysayers, and you're tempted to become one too. In that moment, remember who you are. You do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and are saved. And when you have failed every New Year's resolution for the last 20 years, remember who you are. You do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That is who you are. So 2017, read the book. Know the story. Live the story. May we all have the faith of Abraham. Let's pray. God, thank you for your story. Dating back generations and centuries, but yet coming right up into the present to now to include us. We are so humbled to be included in your world-blessing mission. We thank you that with faith nothing is impossible. Make our agenda your agenda. Make the goals and the resolutions that we set your goals and your resolutions. Align us with you. Keep us in your care. Thank you that we are uh, part of Abraham's seed, children of the promise children of yours, with you all things are possible, for you are an unstoppable God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.